ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we cover the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today I'm joined by Nina Vinkoff, MD. Dr. Vinkoff serves both as Chief of the Division of Breast Imaging and the Radiology Vice Chair for Patient Experience at Northwell Health in New York City. In addition to these roles, Dr. Vinkoff is co-chair of the Patient Engagement Committee of ACR's Commission on Patient and Family-Centered Care, or PFCC. And relevant to today's discussion, she'll also, she also chairs uh, the ACR Appropriateness Criteria Patient Engagement Subcommittee. So she's very engaged, let's just put it that way, right off the top. Uh, Dr. Vinkoff, it's a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was just a mouthful of titles. So I <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't trip up on it. I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself a gold star because I usually uh, at least need two takes. So, well, it's it's so great having you today, and and we're gonna be discussing um, in our conversation a series of animated videos you all have uh, you that you in particular have led development on uh, in your work with the PFCC. Uh, this series is called the Patient Friendly Imaging Series, and so far you and your team have published a pair of videos that walk uh, viewers through the importance of getting regular screening mammograms. And I know we'll talk a little bit about this uh, eventually, but you have. Have plans to, to create more videos as well. So um, to start us off, can you please uh, talk a little bit about what inspired the video series? Absolutely. Um, so this video series, these are animations, and these were animations that were created through the Patient and Family Centered Care Commission, um, the Patient Engagement Committee specifically, which is a committee that I chair. And what our committee is doing is creating short animations. Each is about a minute in length. And the purpose of the animations is to answer common questions that patients have. And the goal is really so that patients can watch the animations, have some information about imaging tests, and be able to participate in shared decision-making with their physician when it comes to choosing an imaging test. So, so far we have about a dozen videos either finished or in production. And in time for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we released two in October. Um, we released one on breast cancer screening tests and what the differences are and who is appropriate for each and another video on answering patient questions about whether they should continue to have breast cancer screening if they're pregnant um, or breastfeeding. Gotcha. So that's where we are so far. And, and it is this... Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is why I'm wearing <laughs> So I know that you are, we will be showing this in November. <laughs> that's right. As we record this, we're in the middle of October, 2022. So, uh, but I, I still, as I'll, as I'll touch on later, I still think this will be very much on people's minds in November. So this is all very relevant. Well, as I understand it, these videos are linked to the ACR appropriateness criteria, or a lot of people just call them AC uh, patient summaries, as well as the ACs themselves. Um, are the videos meant to prompt physicians to dig deeper into the AC summaries? Or I guess, if so, how could viewers go about doing this? So if you could just give us a little uh, uh, about how you're hoping these are actually deployed. Sure. So again, you know, these are really patient-friendly videos. So they're really, our target audience for these videos are patients. And we're trying to serve two purposes. So the first is just standalone content. So you can watch these one-minute videos and have a lot of questions answered. And for some patients, that might be enough. But the videos are on YouTube. And on the YouTube page, which is on the JACR um, YouTube page, there's actually information at the bottom that will take you to the appropriateness criteria patient-friendly summary, which is a 250-word paragraph. So that has more information than we could contain in a one-minute video. And if you're a physician or if you're just a patient who really wants more information, who wants to see what the source material was, that got to these recommendations, you can go back and read the entire appropriateness criteria. And for each animation, we have the link that will take you both to the patient-friendly summary 
as well as to the original source document that has all the literature and everything that were used to come up with those recommendations. That's so great. So in a sense, it's um, I've watched these videos. They're really good, actually. Um, and I shared them on social media. So if you're out there on social media, either retweet what I tweeted or please share them. Um, but they they said what the, I guess the first impression I had from them is they they're like a conversation starter. I mean, they're very informative. Don't get me wrong. But it, it, yeah, it's very uh, clear that, you know, if you want to learn more, you, you're it's very conducive to that as well. So I just want to put that little plug out there. <laughs> um, and that's the goal. That's great. That's great. Um, it sounds like your work in the PFCC and, as I mentioned, uh, your work in the Appropriateness Criteria Patient Engagement Subcommittee is intertwined in ways that impact these videos. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about that interplay. Absolutely. I mean, to really understand the whole story of how we got to where we are now with these videos, you have to go back decades. And this takes you back all the way to the 1990s when the ACR first started putting together evidence-based guidelines that became the ACR appropriateness criteria. And many of our viewers probably already understand how this works, but for those who don't, um, there are panels of experts. They're not all radiologists. Some are radiologists, some come from relevant specialties, and they do the research and put together evidence-based guidelines so that for every kind of medical condition or illness that a patient could have, there are recommendations for what the appropriate first test is. And these are the same guidelines, the ACR's guidelines have become the same guidelines that are now used for clinical decision support so that our referring physicians who are trying to decide what the best first test is, especially for advanced imaging, have guidelines to follow so that they choose the appropriate test. So that's how it started. And it really started as something that was for physicians. It was written by physicians and the target audience was physicians. And then about five years ago, um, Andrea Barandi-Kitz, who is a patient advocate and also an associate editor at JSCR, had the brilliant idea of making this information accessible to patients. And the way that she chose to make it accessible to patients was by creating 250 word summary paragraphs of the information that's in each one of these documents and publishing them in JSCR and making them available um, on the ACR website. And the way that it works is a lay author, somebody with no medical knowledge, reads the documents, um, summarizes it down into 250 words, and then works with a radiologist, with a technical expert, to make sure that they haven't made any mistakes in understanding what their recommendations are. And then those two, the lay author and the physician author, publish together the 250-word summary. So when I first heard about this, I was actually on the breast imaging panel um, for the appropriateness criteria. And it was mentioned at, at our national meeting um, for our committee. And I pretty much forced my way onto the, onto the subcommittee. So the subcommittee that creates this is the ACR appropriateness criteria patient engagement subcommittee. And in about 2018, I basically forced my way onto the committee because this is the kind of work I love to do. And I said, I have to be on this committee. And they not only let me on the committee, but about a year and a half or so after that, I became the vice chair of that committee. And since 2021, I've been the chair of that committee. And from the minute that I started getting involved in writing these summaries, I felt like we needed to get them more exposure. You know, they were getting published on in JACR, they were on the ACR website, but JACR and the ACR website, those are not places that patients go to look for information. And so from the second that I got involved in this, I started thinking about ways that we could promote the summaries and get them more visibility um, to patients. And so I brought that idea to my other committee. 
So I went to back to the Patient Family Center Care Commission to my committee there um, and said, we our committee, the Patient Engagement Committee of the Patient and Family Center Care Commission, our mission is to create resources for patients and to promote patient-friendly resources. And I said, this is what we should be doing. We should be figuring out ways to get these summaries out into the world so the patients can read them. So the first thing that we did was we thought we would just do live videos. So we thought we'd get a patient and we'd get a radiologist and we'd have them have a conversation about the content that was in the summary and then link to the summary at the end. And we did a couple of those, but those were really time consuming and difficult to do and difficult to recruit people to do it. So then the ACR staff came to me and said, we can do this with animations and then I don't have to recruit anyone to do it. We could have the same conversation, but now the conversation could happen between two cartoon characters and again, link to the patient-friendly summaries, have the content, have the ability to be able to read the full summary if you want. And, um, and that's basically how we got to where we are today. So now I have two committees that have very similar names, which you got through very nicely at the beginning of this podcast. And the one committee, um, which is within quality and safety within the appropriateness criteria committee, we write the patient-friendly summaries. And my other committee, which is in the Patient and Family Center Care Commission, we promote the summaries. So we are the ones who are writing these animation scripts and creating um, these animated videos. And is and anyone in entertainment where we are? As anyone in entertainment knows, if you control distribution, you control everything. So that's good. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? No, but that's that's wonderful. I mean, I love you're like a model commission committee member because you have all this strategy behind what you've been doing. I feel like I wish more people uh, had had that kind of outlook on on approach like just like yours. I, I, and I think it really shines through. I think there's a real strong narrative through line to both of these and and i and it's crystal clear what you're trying to get across so this is a passion project for me like i really i truly believe in this and not only that and i should have said this earlier you know we have all these wonderful lay authors and all these wonderful members of my committee who write these patient-friendly summaries and so it's a passion project for me to get this information out to the audience that it's intended for so if these animations are going to get that information out i will be thrilled um, what I like also about it is it's, it's very palatable because it's done in a style that's that we all know. Like I thought, oh my gosh, Jetsons or so it, it's very retro and it's just so great. You just don't see that kind of animation anymore. So anyway, yeah, hopefully everyone There's will feast their eyes on it. For the animation that we're using that you're right. It goes, it's like a really like 60s, 70s so style cool. of animation. Yeah. that reminds us all of our childhood and like, you know, yeah. Sunday morning cartoons. It's and you're really- instantly in, you're instantly hooked. So I, yeah. I, I encourage people to watch them, but well, you, and we've talked about this a little bit. So I just, you know, I, um, I don't want to go over ground we've already covered here, but I just do want to point to the fact that this project did come out of the PFCC primarily, um, the at least the production of it did. Um, so, so for those who may not know, the PFCC, uh, Patient Family Center Care Commission, uh, is a group of dedicated physicians, patients, and ACR staff member who are, staff members who work really hard, as you've mentioned, uh, to make radiology more patient centered. So, I guess aside from you've already touched on this a little, maybe if I could ask you to elaborate, aside from bringing physician awareness to the ACs, I guess what is the overall uh, idea of the arc of, of, of this series to, to at the end of which, uh, what do you have, have uh, hope will have happened? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, I have a, the, our committee is very interesting within PFCC. So patient engagement, my committee at PFCC is actually, I'm the co-chair and my co-chair is actually Linda Sample. 
she's a patient advocate, she's a patient. Um, I think we're kind of unique within our commission that we have a number of committees now that are co-chaired by a radiologist um, and by a patient. And so, um, you know, our goal is to be presenting material that is both patient-friendly and patient-centric. Mm. And I rely on Linda to make sure that all the material that we have in these videos is at the right reading level and, um, and as you said, you know, is approachable to patients, feels like something that they can digest. Um, and so I basically are, what we do is I have our committee members have each volunteered to write these animations. I take a stab at editing them. I send them all by Linda, but our eventual goal is to put these in places where patients are looking for content. So we made them a minute long so that we could post them on places like Instagram and TikTok. And I hope that we're gonna get to that place that they're gonna be um, in those kinds of locations because we know, we have them on Twitter right now, we have them on YouTube, but we know that you know the next generation of people, they're looking for their content in the kinds of short bites that we now have. Mm -hmm. So we have to put them in the places where they're looking for that content. So that's really, um, that's the long-term goal is to mm -hmm. get them in those places. Yeah, even YouTube has shorts now where they, they're trying to get into that TikTok market, I think a little bit. We so. live in like a it's very a good time. short attention span time in our lives, right? <laughs> we like do. Everybody's only got about a minute of attention span. Right, so, right. Um, yeah. So funny. I know, I know. Everyone's trying to get the it down to the, the minute second, I think at this point. So, Absolutely. well, uh, yeah, I mean, my next question, you've already sort of answered with, with talking about Linda, but, um, you know, I guess, how, how did you get uh, patients involved in the development? Was, was it primarily Linda lending her expertise or did you have other patients involved or how do you plan to involve patients, I guess, going forward? So the patients are involved in the patient-friendly summary content. So that I really mm. have to credit Andrea Baranti-Kitz with. So Andrea okay. and I have a whole bunch of different ways of getting lay people to work on those patient-friendly summaries. Mm. Um, in the summer, we actually bring in a lot of college students, um, people that are interested in medicine, but don't have any education about medicine yet. And then Andrea has friends that are patient advocates and people really all over the country. So the original content in the patient-friendly summary, that was all created by patients. By the time it gets to the stage of us getting it down to that little one minute animation script, we're not actually using patients in that. The, the people on my committee at PFCC, we're all radiologists, mm -hmm. but I do take it back to Linda um, at the end to give it the final, yes, you came in at a sixth grade reading level, and yes, this is understandable to a patient. Um, so that's sort of how it goes full circle is that the patient summary was written by a patient. And the final okay at the end is done by Linda. And then the middle, we have a bunch of radiologists who are making sure that everything is um, is technically correct. Gotcha. And you guys have have I guess you've I, I imagine you've you've looked at research that says a sixth grade level is really the target level that you're gonna. We try. Speaking. You know, it's hard when you're dealing with things in medicine. Sometimes you can't get them down to that level. You know, sometimes yeah. you're closer to eight. But I think once you go beyond eighth grade reading level, it becomes inaccessible to patients. Yeah, I'm gonna lose people. So. Um, yeah, so that's that's our goal. And Linda runs it through whatever little program that she has that tells me what the reason sure. is. Sure. No, that's great. <laughs> it sounds like you've got all your bases covered there. Well, I guess if we could zoom out and talk a little bit about breast cancer in general, it, you know, it's a concept that's on a lot of people's mind, I think year-round actually at this point. But um, so where do things stand in terms of people's adherence to, to regular breast screenings? You know, I think we still have a lot of challenges. I, I really break the challenges into three main groups. The first is conflicting guidelines. 
you know, it's really hard to encourage women to have screening when it still isn't clear which guidelines they're supposed to be following. You know, we have di multiple different national organizations that have all issued guidelines and they're all slightly different. Um, you know, varying from what the, you know, what the ACR recommends, which is annual starting at age 40, to what the US Preventive Services Task Force recommends, which is starting a decade later and going every other year, and then some that are in the middle. And that's really confusing for patients. So I think we're never gonna get good adherence until patients see that we all agree what the guidelines are. And so I think it's an imperative that we do that. Mm. Um, the second thing that I think is a problem with adherence to screening guidelines is all the screening guidelines are based on the average risk woman. But most women don't know whether they're the average risk woman. And so I think we have a lot of work to do with making risk assessment become part of just standard preventive health care so that all women by the age of 30 know whether they're at high risk or low risk, and then they can adhere to the guidelines that are appropriate for them. There isn't just mm -hmm. one set of guidelines. It depends on whether you're high risk or low risk. And then I think the next big set of problems that we have are ethnic disparities and social determinants of health as they apply to, um, to breast cancer. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, we have a lot of work to do with the fact that our guidelines are not appropriate for all ethnic groups. And that's something that we're gonna need to focus on in order to really get the kind of adherence that we need to be able to get the benefit from screening. You know, Screening when it's done correctly can reduce your risk of dying of breast cancer by 40 or more percent. Um, but it has to be done correctly. So mm. I've really been trying to spend all of Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I'm not talking so much about breast cancer awareness, but breast cancer screening awareness and talking more about empowerment and the things that women can do to understand their own personal risk so that they can personalize their care and be following the right guidelines. Um, and that's really th this whole month, anytime anybody gives me a chance to talk, we are all aware of breast cancer. You know, if it hasn't affected you, it's affected your family member, your friend, your coworker, it affects one in eight women in America. We don't need any more awareness, but we need awareness of what you can do about it, how you can reduce your risk of dying from breast cancer. So that's my story. Yeah, we just saw, <laughs> well, we just saw Katie Couric come out very bravely talking about her fight with breast cancer. So I think Absolutely. it's it's very high profile these days. Well, you talked about personal risk right there. And I was wondering if we could talk just a minute about the pandemic. I know it's something most people are tired of hearing about, but during the most intense times of the, the COVID pandemic, many patients opted to miss appointments rather than potentially expose themselves understandably to the virus uh, in a medical setting. So now that we're hopefully coming out of the pandemic, we don't really know for sure, but we, we have signs that we are maybe coming out of it finally. Um, do you see breast screening numbers coming back in line with expectations or like you said yeah. earlier, do we have maybe some, some ways to go yet? We have some ways to go. I mean, we do in our health system, I feel like our numbers are back where they were, but just mm. to go back to what our thought process was in 2020, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, we really thought we were doing the right thing by keeping women out of our waiting rooms for an elective test. Mm. Um, and it also allowed us, you know, I'm, I was in New York really in the ground zero of the pandemic. It allowed us to sort of divert yeah. our resources from things that were elective to, you know, things that were really an emergency at that time. Mm. You look back on it now with a different set of eyes from, you know, end of 2022 and maybe telling people to pause in their screening was the wrong message, but right? I mm. think we were doing it with patients' best interests in mind. Right. Um, our numbers have rebounded but that hasn't been the case nationwide. And I think we still don't know what the impact of that time was. You know, We're starting already to hear about 
um, cancers that are presenting later that are more advanced than they might have been. Um, but nonetheless, we can only move forward. We can't go backward and, and undo what we did. So I've just been really trying to tell everyone two messages. If there's any doubt in your mind about whether it's safe to come in and have your mammogram now, it absolutely is. There isn't a breast center in America that isn't taking adequate precautions to protect you and the other patients in the waiting room from, from getting COVID. So please come in. And the other message that I've just been trying to tell people is no shame or guilt, right? None. Even if you miss the whole last two and a half years, there is nobody in any breast imaging center who's going to make you feel bad. All we're going to be is happy to see you now. So please don't let that stop you from coming in. Um, and, um, and then we'll see, you know, the jury's still out about what the impact um, of all this is going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, uh, maybe it's not a very good comparison, but I, I recently went to the doctor just, just to have a checkup and I hadn't been in a while. Cause I was one of these people who was very nervous about COVID and I found myself apologizing just like profusely upfront. They're like, don't worry. <laughs> You're don't here. Apologize. That's what matters. <laughs> yeah. They've seen it all. They've done it all at this point. So they're, they just want you to be there and, and get started. I think that's the we most important thing. understand that we were all facing challenges that we've never faced before. And, and nobody is going to make you feel guilty about the fact that life got in the way over the right. course of the past couple of years. And we'll just be thrilled to have you back. That's well said. Very well said. <laughs> well, in the past few years, uh, and you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, in the past few years, a consensus has been forming around the need to address negative social determinants of health, or just, you know, those, um, maybe suboptimal life circumstances uh, that a lot of people face uh, nowadays um, that lead to health that can lead to healthcare disparities. So for our viewers who might not be aware of how health equity uh, or those health kind of inequalities uh, play into access to mammography, I was wondering if you could please explain that connection a little bit further. Absolutely. So if there's actually several different ways that um, social determinants of health and health equity play a role in breast cancer and breast cancer screening. The first is just simply an access. You know, we know that annual mammograms are going to reduce your risk of dying of breast cancer by 40% or more, but some communities just don't have those resources or the resources are just not accessible or convenient to the members of that community. Mm -hmm. So we need to do more to bring breast cancer screening into communities that are underserved. Um, and whether that means in, in mobile vans, whether that means being open in, on weekends or in evenings or at some communities where you know, women cannot take off time during the day to go and have a mammogram. And so if we wanna get adherence to breast cancer screening, we have to go out into the community and we have to offer mammograms at times that are gonna be um, possible for women. The second way that, um, that uh, ethnic disparities are playing a role we now see in breast cancer is our guidelines. And I talked about this a little bit earlier, but our guidelines don't um, take into account that there are ethnic disparities in breast cancer. You know, Black women in particular um, are more likely to get breast cancer younger, um, are more likely to die of breast cancer younger, are more likely to have the highly aggressive triple negative form of breast cancer, and are more likely to be um, BRCA carriers. And so we need to adjust our guidelines. Some, you know, I think all women are, are poorly served by guidelines that suggest that they don't start until 50. That's my personal feeling is that those are bad guidelines. But for some ethnic groups, those are horrible guidelines. Mm. If you're a member of a group that has many women who are, who are um, developing breast cancer or dying of breast cancer before they're even 40, to have a guideline that says to not start until you're 50, um, that's something that needs to change. Mm. Um, 
And then finally, I think, you know, um, we need to do more with educating those women that they are at higher risk. Uh, you know, I think, you know, many of us in the healthcare community now understand that there are certain ethnic groups that are higher risk, but do the members of that community understand? And what are we gonna do about education? And again, risk assessment, risk assessment, risk assessment, risk assessment. Everybody should know what their personal risk is before they turn 30. You can't do the kinds of preventative things that you might need to do even at age 25 or 30, unless you know that you're at risk. So we have a lot to do with access, with changing our guidelines, and with education and risk assessment. Um, and all of those things are, are playing a role. And unfortunately, they're having a negative impact on certain communities. That's so interesting. And this this speaks to my ignorance. So um, I know that the the, the current planned um, video series you all are working on really adheres very closely to the appropriateness criteria. But I guess that said, are you are there any plans at any future time to do any kind of animations in this space, this health equity space at all? So, you know, I, I we've just barely started talking about that. It just came up in a conversation oh, a couple of weeks ago. And yes, the answer is yes. The groups at the ACR who are look who are focused on healthcare disparities definitely, if this turns out to be a good way to reach people, which mm -hmm. I really hope that it will, um, yes, absolutely. Um, that's a space that we'd like to be in. That's great. And I guess uh, uh, yeah, that's a good uh, way to, to, to segue to the future. Is that beyond that, what, are, what is the future of the, the video series as you conceive of it? Yeah. So when we first started talking about the videos, you know, we had all this content and we were like, you know, which ones do we want to turn into videos? And so we started looking at awareness months and we made a calendar of all the months of the year. And we said, you know, when might patients be looking for content? Mm. And, you know, and we thought they might be looking for content at a time that it's getting a lot of play in the media and there's a lot of conversation about it. And so we came up with a calendar where, you know, breast cancer awareness is the first one we did where we would start to release um, animations that were timed when we thought patients would be looking for them. So that's the first goal is A, to make more videos, B, to coordinate them with awareness months. Um, the next is to use social media, as I mentioned, to sure. promote them. Um, the next is to partner with patient advocacy groups and let them take these messages into their community. Um, I think another thing that we really need to start thinking about is ways that we can make these available to both radiology practices, but even more important to our referring physicians. Um, if we want, if, if our goal is to allow patients to be able to partner with their physicians in a more effective way um, for shared decision-making, um, we should be providing these resources to our referring doctors so that they can share this with their patients. Um, and then we, you know, internally, we have already started conversations with the folks at radiologyinfo.org, which is, you know, a joint website between the RSNA and the ACR, which is a patient-facing website with resources um, about radiology. Um, we already have the patient-friendly summaries posted on that website. And going forward, they're going to help us share some of these videos on radiologyinfo.org. That's so, great. Lots of exciting lots stuff. Lots of plans. Happening. Lots of plans. <laughs> and I like that you're. I like that you're not. I mean, it's great that your primary audience is is patients, and you're really targeting that. But it's great that you're also trying to ingratiate it with referring physicians who really are on that front line. So that's that's great. You're having a probably more than a two pronged approach, but that sounds like in general how you're, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, lots thank you. Yeah. Lots of promise. Lots of prongs. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for this really interesting conversation today. So I guess if people would like to learn more about the topics we covered, um, can they find you somewhere online to ask you? Absolutely. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, I'm at Nina Vinkoff MD. 
And um, also, um, I tweet a lot of times under the hashtag of PFCC mm. or um, ACR PFCC. Um, and uh, please follow me. And you know, and and more than that, um, I guess I'd like to say to anybody who's listening to this, if you have some um, way to get into some of these communities where patients are, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to each other in medicine. But if you are somebody who has a connection to patient organizations, to patient advocacy organizations, and has an idea of how I could get this out there, direct message me on Twitter, email me. Um, I want to work with you. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Community health approach. That's really great. Well, that's such a good note to end on. Well, I want to say to our listeners, if you have ideas for future show topics, please let us know on Twitter, like as Dr. Vinkoff was just talking about, uh, at the handle at radiology ACR, and please include hashtag ACR bulletin podcast in your tweet. Uh, I also invite our audience to check out all of our past episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and please do be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel and stay up to date on our latest episodes. And finally, please hit that like button on this video if you you found it valuable. Thanks again, Dr. Vinkoff. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate We'd it. We'd love to have you back. I want to get an update on these videos for sure. <laughs> Sounds good to me. See you <laughs> thank you. And thanks to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>